We're just going to read this morning from Judges chapter 16. We've been working our way through Judges and more particularly in recent weeks we've been working our way through the the story of Samson and we come to another big climax and his life story was all about things happening but um, another big incident in his life here in Judges 16. So I'm going to begin reading from verse 1. And we read in verse 1 that one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only till the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, gathered them with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength, and how we can overpower him, so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistine brought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took seven ropes, took new ropes, sorry, and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, Until now, you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my hair into the fabric, on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pin. Again she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you? when you won't confide in me. This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. So he told her everything 
No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the ruler of the Philistines. Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself three free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Thank God again for his word, for his truth. And pray he'll open our minds and our hearts and give us true understanding. Let's just come and pray. Father, we just want to give thanks to you for the many different ways that you bless us in our lives. We've already today given thanks for our mothers and for the mothers of our church and for all that they bring to their families. We thank you for the way that you bless us in so many other ways and for the way that you allow us to come and to give back to you. But Lord, today, we come particularly to thank you for your word, to thank you for its truth, and to thank you that you teach us real practical things that affect and can transform our lives. You teach us in your word, if only we're ready to receive it and ready to obey it. Lord, may each of us be in that place today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a, a story some time ago that, that for me shattered what had been for many years a kind of popular myth that, that I'd taken hold of. And that is that contrary to public opinion, many people do not grow old gracefully. No, people only grow old gracefully if they were gracious in their earlier years. As is witnessed to by the the story from the archives of a church of Scotland minister, and this is what he tells us, that the officer in charge of the Dornock Eventide home tells us of how one of the residents was most reluctant to get up and come down for breakfast in the morning. Going into her room one morning, this officer said as nicely as possible, come on, get up, you're getting lazy. With a beatific smile on her face, the old lady replied, No, I'm not. I've always been lazy. <laughs> so you see, so often the, the patterns, the ingrained habits of our lives eventually catch up with us. And if we don't deal with things, with things that are wrong, and particularly from a Christian perspective, if we don't deal with things that are sin, then they don't just remain at the same level and they certainly don't just go away no left undealt with too often they come to dominate 
our lives. And so it was with Samson. For as we saw last week, though his root problem was a failure to acknowledge and to live under God's lordship, yet the, the symptom of this problem, the area of his life where this revealed itself most markedly, was in the area of his sexuality. But Samson's real problem came in, though, not in having this weakness, for as human beings, as, as fallen men and women, we've all got our areas of weakness. And this is one of the most common and indeed to extent, an extent natural of them all. Now his problem came in, in that instead of recognising his weakness, and with God's help trying to deal with it, he instead chose to play around with temptation. And that's what this episode is in Samson's life is really all about. It's about what temptation can do in our lives if instead of dealing with it, we play with it. It's how ultimately it will catch up with us and perhaps even destroy us. Let's look at this though, beginning by looking at the roots of his temptation. The roots of his temptation. And we find the the roots of Samson's temptation in this unsavory account in the first three verses of Judges 16 of his involvement with a prostitute in Gaza. For it's in this incident that we find the warning signs of that which led to his ultimate downfall. So while at first it might seem difficult to understand just why these verses have been included in the Bible, I mean, of all that happened in the 20 years that Judges 15, 20 tells us that Samson led Israel, this is actually the only incident that's recorded for us. Yet, as I've said, I, I believe the very reason that this has been recorded is because it, it clearly brings together, it clearly brings out the root reason why Samson fell. This man, this great man, called of God, beloved of God, this man of enormous potential, with enormous resources that have been invested in him by the Lord, and yet a man who before the end of his life really was to hit gutter level. So where did it all go wrong? What does this story in these first three verses of Judges 16 tell us? Well, to understand that, what it's important, first of all, that we grasp is that, that Gaza was one of the five major Philistine cities in the Promised Land. Gaza then was one of the, the strongholds of the Philistines, of Samson's great enemies. And it was a city where this man who had killed so many really was public enemy number one. And yet here he is, seemingly on some errand and certainly on his own. And then to make things worse, he enters into a casual liaison with a prostitute. Now, the rest of this story, how the, the Philistines, after seemingly watching the house that he was in for much of the night, then allowed him just to, to walk away, it's very difficult to understand. Until you, you grasp hold of the fact, and it's something that comes through again and again in this chapter, until you grasp hold of the fact that the Philistines were absolutely terrified of Samson. This man who not only had supernatural strength, but who was also a fearsome, ruthless warrior. Indeed, this incident in itself, when you get down to understanding what actually happened here, is actually a, 
a good illustration of just why they were terrified of Samson. For you see, these gates and their posts that Samson were told tore out here were massive city gates. This was a city. And at this time, these were huge things that usually were covered with metal and nail-studded to make them fireproof in the, the case of an attack. And I hope that you begin to get an idea, a picture of something of the weight of these. Not the kind of things that you would be buying at home base or B&Q. And, and when it talks of Samson carrying them to the top of the, the hill that faced Hebron, well, just to put that into perspective and to help you to understand what's going on, let me tell you that this was actually a journey of 38 miles uphill all the way, right to the very highest point in what we now call southern Israel. And as Samson then set these gates up here for all to see, I don't think we can see this as anything but a monument to his defiance, a declaration of his rejection of any Philistine authority. But can you see what? The root here of Samson's problem. The root that led him into temptation and that led to this temptation and the fruits of this finally having such a devastating effect on his life. It was the fact that he was a man who was totally self-confident. And it was this self-confidence that led him here to play with fire. Yes, despite the fact that the earlier indulging of his lusts in Judges 14 and 15 had led to tragedy and disaster, yet still, despite that, Samson was so confident in the flesh, so confident in himself, so confident in his strength and in his abilities that he thought he could just do whatever he wanted and he would still get away with it. He seemed to think that he was answerable to neither God nor man, nor to the evil one. That he could just do what he wanted and nothing could stop him. Nothing could lay a finger on him. Nothing could ever bring Samson down. And of course, to an extent you can understand why Samson thought that way. Because for much of his life, that had seemed to be the way things were. He had for so long got away with whatever he wanted. In fact, I would say, probably better to say, that that's the way that things had seemed from his perspective. But you know, in fact, it was never the case that Samson was ever truly in control of his own life. Not like all of us, he was always being influenced by spiritual powers beyond himself. The Lord seeking to influence him and to lead him into obedience and through that into a true fulfillment of his potential. The devil, though, seeking to manipulate him into making the kind of decisions that ultimately led to his downfall. And it was always the case. As again, it always is for us that one day Samson would be brought to boot. That one day... The consequences of his actions, of his choices, in his case, of a lifetime of sin, that one day these would come to roost and he would have to answer for them. But let's move on from looking at the roots of Samson's temptation to look instead at the source of his temptation, of his last great temptation that led to his downfall. 
And of course, this is the apparently beautiful and certainly treacherous, notorious Delilah. Now, just to paint in a few background details, the, the name Delilah is in fact a Jewish rather than a Philistine name. And that might lead us to the conclusion that this lady was in fact a Jewess and therefore guilty of a sin perhaps even more awful, an act of betrayal against her own people. That might seem to be the case. But I don't believe that this in fact was necessarily or even probably so. Not because we've already seen and already looked at and covered in earlier studies and judges. The Philistine way, their tactic, was generally not to conquer nations in warfare, but rather their tactic was to infiltrate their ranks by trade and by intermarriage. And by doing so, to undermine the culture and identity of a nation. And then finally, when the, the nation was sufficiently weakened, to just assimilate them. Just to draw them in as just another branch of the great Philistine people. Now, I see Delilah's name here as just another small example of this same strategy. That she was either a young Philistine woman given a Jewish name as they sought to worm their way into the people of God, or her name is the result of a mixed marriage between a Philistine and a Jew that shows how successful they'd already been. For if Delilah had actually been one of God's people betraying her own, then I'm sure that would have been made clear here. And as for these five Philistine rulers, the, the kings of these five cities seeking to entice Delilah to betray Samson, well that, in addition to the enormous bribe that they offered her, actually 150 pounds in weight of silver, that underlines what we've said earlier about the Philistines being absolutely <coughs> terrified of Samson. But what does Delilah have to say to us about the sources of temptation. What does she have to say to us about the way through temptation the devil so often seeks to make inroads into our life? Well, Gary Inrig, in kind of blunt North American style, Donald Trump would be proud of him, puts it like this. He says, temptation comes to us in attractive packages. The Philistines didn't hire Tugboat Annie. They hired a beauty queen. And that's true, isn't it? You know, the devil, he, he works like a, a fly fisherman. He, he disguises his hook. He usually puts temptation into attractive packages. He dresses sin up to make sure that we take the bait. And it's true. And you know, so many of us know that it's true. But that doesn't stop Christians falling for it again and again and again. And sadly, and increasingly I would say at a time where the difference in standards between God's people and the world seem to be getting fewer and fewer, less and less, sadly, we now seem often to, to fall almost for exactly the same things as the world does. Just for instance, you know, I've, I've kind of said something about this, you know, my feelings, I'm not going to go, but say for example, we decide that we're going to take a drink. And we decide, we look and we think there's nothing in the Bible that tells us we can't drink. And I can understand that. 
and drink, well, we think about that, and it's associated in our society with having a good time, with feeling relaxed and at ease. So we, we try it. And maybe at first drink seems to give us all that it promised. Certainly worked that way for me. But then through time, not always, but pretty often, through time, the hook goes in. And we find that that which once was fun, that which we thought liberated us and that we controlled, we find that it has instead began to control us. And we find that it's destroying us in so many different ways in our life. But maybe that's an example that's got nothing to do with us and we kind of find it easy just to, to cast off and to avoid. But what about this one? The devil comes and says to us, listen, don't go flat out now living the Christian life. Not while you're young. Don't get too involved. Don't get too involved in things like prayer and, and Bible reading and Christian service. Now, first of all, get your share of life on this earth. For now, concentrate on your career. Concentrate on material prosperity. Concentrate on having fun. And then later on, later in life, when you've got everything and you feel you've got time, well then, that's the time you can really begin to give God his place. But you see, too often later never actually comes. Or if it does come, we, we find by then that, you know, because of the way we've lived, our life has fallen apart around us. We've neglected God. And because we've neglected him and haven't given him first place in our life, that's impacted terribly on our lives. But let's move on from looking at the source of temptation, the attractive packages Satan tries to dress sin up in to make sure that we take the bait. Let's move on from that to look at the principles of temptation. And what are the principles that we can pick out here about the workings of temptation in our life? Well, the first one, let me put it to you in this way. That temptation is more like a toboggan ride, going back into the Winter Olympics, than it is falling off a cliff. What do I mean by that? Well, here we go. What I mean is that when we surrender to temptation at some point maybe, and that leads to catastrophe in our life, we then often think, we come to the conclusion that things all went wrong in that moment. It was in that moment of crisis when we made that big wrong decision. It was then that our life all fell apart, just like falling off a cliff. It all happened in an instant. In fact, that's actually not so. Far more often, our experience of temptation is like a toboggan ride. That is, it's something that's ongoing. And it's something that speeds up and up and up the closer we get to the end. Where there are various points along the way where we can jump off, where there's an opportunity to turn around, to change the direction of our life, but where nowhere is that easier than at the very beginning, before the momentum builds up. And you can see this, this principle illustrated in the life 
of Samson. For while I'm sure there were many different opportunities for him to jump off, to turn to God and seek to change the sinful pattern of his life, yet nowhere was that more the case than after the disastrous results of his marriage to a Philistine woman. And his close escape here after the liaison with this prostitute at Gaza. For you would think, wouldn't you, that these things would open his mind to the fact, his eyes up to the fact that if he kept on walking, if he kept on living in the way that he was, if he kept on yielding to temptation, that the only possible end for him would be disaster. But you see, as is too often the case, that deceptive combination of sin's attractive packaging and of Samson's great self-confidence that we touched on earlier, that feeling that he seemed to have, that nothing could harm him, nothing could stop him, that he could handle anything. These things together blinded Samson to his situation. And so he just carried on. He carried on on that toboggan ride of temptation. He carried on enjoying the thrills, enjoying the excitement, until finally the crash landing came. Another picture of temptation is that it's also like a spider's web and that if we play around with it enough, it will draw us in and trap us and eventually destroy us. So if you take all this together that the best time to jump off is early on before things gain momentum to get out as quick as you can then i hope it does you'll come across clearly that the best way to deal with temptation is to nip temptation in the bud before it gets a grip and as i say that i believe what i'm saying is wholly biblical that famous verse of in the bible first corinthians 10 13 tells us that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, it says, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And then you've got 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee from the evil desires of youth. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Flee from idolatry. But you see, in an age where so much of the emphasis nowadays is on freedom, is on the, the power and the authority that the believer has in Christ, in the Spirit, then these can maybe be difficult words to hear. Because the tendency is to believe that a believer who's strong in the Lord who's walking close to God, that that believer should be able to go anywhere, do anything, whatever. I want to say to you that that's true in many areas of the Christian life. In many areas of the Christian life, we should have no fear of the devil. In regard to evangelism and mission and service and witness, we're told that we do have all the resources, not just to stand back, but to go on the offensive, to take the battle to the evil one. And what we need is the faith and courage to use the resources God gives. However, in our areas of weakness, where we can be tempted, 
There the, the Bible says that our approach to the devil should be a very different one. Should not be to take him on in those areas of weakness, but rather to flee from him. So if you want to know how to deal with temptation in your life, how to deal with the areas of weakness that you have in your life, how to deal with sin, then there's your answer. There it is. Don't play around with it. Flee from these things. Keep away from them. Don't play with them. Don't try to dabble in them. Don't try to see how far you can go. For if you do, you can be sure that like the spider with the fly, the devil will draw you in and destroy you. Well, we've looked at the root, the source, the principles of temptation. Let's finish by looking at the results, the results of temptation. But before we, we look at that, just before we go into that, you would think, wouldn't you, that sometime here, before the, the trap door clangs shut, that Samson would have kind of woken up to the fact that something was wrong. I mean, we won't go into all the different ways in which Delilah tried to, to trap him. But just take the last one. You would think that if you woke up with a loom hanging from your head, that you might think something's going wrong in our relationship. But you see, what we have to remember here is that, and it's been proven right through the story of his life, that Samson wasn't someone who really thought deeply about life. <laughs> he had a good mind. We've seen that. That's shown in some of his attack on the Philistines. But most of the time, he didn't use that mind too much. Now, Samson was happy to live life at a superficial level. He was happy. As long as his basic needs were met, he was happy. And so, so my view here is that Samson was a man who was so sure of himself, of who he was, so comfortable in himself, so sure of his own abilities, that he couldn't even think of a woman he loved actually trying to betray him. And he couldn't even imagine somebody being able to overpower him. Who could ever do these things to the mighty Samson? I, I really do believe that Samson believed that, that Delilah was testing him here because she loved him. That she wanted to know his secret because she wanted to know that he loved her and trusted her that much. You see, it's that self-confidence again. But what though about the results of Samson's temptation? As his hair is cut off, that last symbol of his dedication to God, and so because of that, the power of God finally leaves him. What about the results of Samson's temptation? As handed over to the Philistines, his eyes cruelly are gouged out. He's changed, he's changed, sorry, and then led to do what was then a woman's work of grinding grain in prison. It's a pathetic sight, isn't it? This man, one so strong, a leader of his people, this man who'd been given such potential in God, who's here reduced to us. A wreck of a man. A wreck. Is it though relevant to us? Well, I believe, of course, it is. Because though physically 
We will not perhaps be reduced to that state, yet this is a picture of what spiritually we can become if continually we give in to temptation in our lives. Not if we give in to the odd sin, not if in fighting the Christian battle we occasionally fall. That happens. But if we continually choose to play around with temptation, and if we easily and repeatedly fall into sin, this is something of a picture of what we will become. Men and women who were given by God the potential and resources to grow to be more like Jesus, instead reduced to empty, shambling, spiritual wrecks. But, can you see what it says? In verse 22, in that wonderful last verse of this passage, but the hair on his head began to grow again where it had been shaved. Do you see what that's a symbol of? That's a symbol of the fact that though the best place to deal with temptation is at its beginnings and always at its beginnings, yet that it is never too late to get back to God. That if we are ready to truly repent, if we are ready to really turn back to God, God then is always ready to receive us back to himself. And he's always ready to pour again into our lives his power and his love. So you see, if you're here this morning and you think, that you're a Samson. That you've played with temptation. You've let God down. And you've thrown away so much of the potential of your spiritual life. Of what God wants. And as if it's all gone. Then I, I want to say to you. Don't listen to the last lie of the devil. Don't listen to his last lie. That lie that says it's all over for you. That says that everything's lost. That it's no way, there's no way back. You've let God down and he's written you off. Don't listen to that lie. Because it is not true. It is not biblical and it is not true. Because our God is always ready to receive and restore repentant sinners and this God is here today and he's ready to do that and if you turn to him now if that's the place you're at he's ready to move in your life in power let's come to him now let's pray Father we want to thank you for all that the story of Samson teaches us of the way that the devil seeks to work in our lives, of the way that we can be tempted, of how we can fall and how things can go so terribly wrong, and that's all possible. But Lord, may we today take away this last thought that you're always ready to forgive. You're always ready to restore. And that if we come to you repentant, if we come to you in our need and ask for your forgiveness, ask you to take us on the road again to, towards Jesus, that you're ready to come in your power. Lord, may we 
take hold of the forgiveness, the grace, the strength, the power that you have for us now. May we experience again your cleansing power and your love. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.